Good morning, and welcome to episode 603 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus, and a guest who you are probably aware of. He has been on this show a couple times before, although that is not his main claim to fame. He is a former major league pitcher, a broadcaster, an accomplished author who's written four books about his time in baseball, most recently Bigger Than the Game. He is Dirk Hayhurst. Hey, Dirk. Hey, guys. How are you? All right. So you are back in school these days. How is that going? And what is the long-term goal of going back to school? Oh, man. Well, I'm back getting my master's of business administration. Uh, and it's it's weird. It's weird, like, being in school and not being part of an athletic program while you're in school. It's just strange. Uh, so uh, I can't, like, beat up nerds and make them do my homework <laughs> like I used to. It sucks. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, so I actually have to do projects myself, which is hard because they make me like they make me spell my name all the time. It's difficult mm. for me. Yeah, that's got to uh, be tough after you've written four books. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I beat somebody up to write those. Mm. So uh, I drew pictures of what I wanted them to do, and then they just wrote words. So <laughs> uh, no, no, actually, it's uh, it's it's really it's really fun. I enjoy the learning process a lot. I'm kind of a continuous learner. At least that's what the the business buzzword is for it now. <laughs> that I have that MBA skill. Uh, so it's great. Um, I think, you know, you get a lot of nuts and bolts of the business world with this degree, and uh, I learn a lot about the interchanges in baseball because I filter everything I learn kind of through that that first learning experience with baseball. So uh, I can make more sense of, of, of organizational decisions and some of the bigger stuff in play. I won't profess to know everything, I don't know. I've only I'm only like through half of it, so I still have like how to conquer the world left. That's like a final project, but uh, you know, it's it's good. It lets me see the world a different way, and it also makes me feel better about uh, my future prospects of having a nice, steady job, provide for a family, because the whims of the baseball world are a little bit more volatile. You're kind of like uh, you're kind of like Stringer Bell. <laughs> Who? No? What? No. Wow, a uh, wire reference. I have found a person who does not respond to wire references. <laughs> oh man, gosh, yeah, I've uh, you know, I, I, it's it's a shame. I, you see, I spend all my time being productive and not uh-huh. watching television. It's weird. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, a lot of people don't understand it. It's just kind of the crazy way I am. You know, <laughs> the wire is the only education you need. <laughs> so we wanted to have you on today to talk about some pace of play stuff. This is obviously been a hot button issue in baseball. We've talked about ways that pace should be sped up and whether it's important that pace should be sped up. And it seems like things are starting to get real, that there are negotiations taking place now between the owners and the union about measures that will be put in place. There were some measures tested in the Arizona Fall League last year. And you wrote a bit about this, one of your your last pieces for Bleacher Report before going back to school was about pace of play changes. So just generally speaking, would you consider this a a high priority issue that is at the top of the to-do list for baseball right now? Is it at the top of the to-do list? Would I rather have a faster baseball game or a game that like finally put the, the smack down on drug users and cheaters or even provided some kind of like 
uh, unionization structure for minor leaguers that paid them a decent wage. I mean, all of those things to me seem more important. But that said, the game is, it's, it's almost unsufferably long now. And depending on who plays, I mean, there's no weighted statistic for matchups from like normal teams versus the games between the Yankees and the Red Sox, which are egregiously long. But uh, the game is the game is long, and and I, I say this as somebody who loves baseball and and thanks baseball for my livelihood. But it gets boring, it really does, and there's just some needless uh, fat that could be cut from it to speed it up. So. You know, but to answer your question, is this something that baseball needs to throw a ton of time and resources at to tackle? No, not really, not especially. I don't think there was a massive outcry from the masses saying, God, baseball's so long, fix it. Uh, I think there's other areas they could definitely focus on, but they won't. And there are, there are a lot of more complex moving parts when you talk about uh, minor league exploitation and lawsuits and moving team franchises and uh, and cracking down on drug use, those are big, complex problems. Putting a clock in play is, is not so much. Oh, and even, even doing instant replay isn't as hard comparatively because there's, there's not as many stakeholders there. So, uh, so this is something that I think uh, baseball gets to, gets to, like, blow its horn and say, hey – we're trying to make the game different. Look at us. We're revolutionizing the system. And it's, I don't think it's that, really that big of a deal if they're successful or not. I hope they take their time with this decision, step out a few times, maybe adjust their batting gloves before they do anything rash. Um, <laughs> obviously, I think when we talk about this, we talk about it mainly as a, uh, an entertainment issue for the, for the fan. Just curious, though, do, uh, do the games feel long and slow and boring from the bench? Do you guys... Uh, a gripe about how long they are? Is there a point in May where you're just thinking, uh, I picked the wrong sport? Oh, gosh, there's a, I mean, I think, I think I picked the wrong sport starts for baseball players when you realize that you have to report to start playing for it again. And like the end of January, when you finish the season around October, I mean, do we really need this much spring training? And um, especially for bullpen guys, which I spent most of my life in that capacity, you just sit around and you wait. I mean, that's one of the reasons I could write books about baseball while playing is because there was so much dead time. In fact, my final year in AAA with the Durham Bulls, and uh, this is I was hurt during this period of time, but even when I was a starter, you know, I'd have, I'd have four days off, one day on, and those four off days, I honestly would go out for the first inning, I'd clap and cheer really hard close to the manager so he felt my presence. And then I would sneak away around the second inning and play Civilization in a toilet stall in the clubhouse bathroom until about the seventh inning, and then I'd go back out. Or if I got beat, you know, if, this, if I lost, my Civilization was destroyed. I would go out sooner, but that's mostly how I spent my time. There was just, there's just so much inactivity for guys. And at that point, you know, there's so many games during the season. So when you're logging 120 in the minors, 140 in the big leagues uh, worth of games, uh, you, you just – I mean, you find things to distract yourself. Mostly you get into trouble, but, yeah, the games are long, and everybody is happy when a game is played in two hours. Everybody. I mean, it's just there's a spring in your step. You got out of there at a decent time. You can go home and get a decent night's sleep or drink more and party harder if that's your thing. Uh, but, yeah, speeding up the time that you have to spend in the office, there's nothing like it. 
And we can control that if we would just play in an efficient manner and not waste time, but inevitably we do. So, yeah, it's noticed and it's enjoyed when it's sped up. And yet there has been some resistance to these proposals among the players. The the pitch clock is the, the main thing that we seem to know is going to happen. The double-A and triple-A level, there are going to be three timers in each park, two of them behind toe plate, but between the dugouts and one in the outfield beyond the fence somewhere. And there has been some backlash to this. John Lester criticized the decision. And I guess there have been a couple of ways that people have criticized it, even people who support the idea of speeding up pace. And one of them is the aesthetic argument, which is sort of the one that John Lester made. The baseball is the game without a clock argument that this is going to disrupt the beauty of baseball with the crack of the bat and the green of the grass and and all of that. And yet there is not really a new rule being added to the books. It's just an enforcement of an old rule. So it's kind of taking that no clock in baseball thing a little bit literally or semantically. There's always been an implied clock in baseball in this sense. So what do you make of the aesthetic argument? Is this going to ruin the spectator experience somehow? Oh, no. No, this is that's the easiest argument for me to shoot down. The easiest one, because it's the premise on which a player says that is ridiculous to the point of absurdity to me. Like if we instituted a clock, then suddenly less sonnets will be written about the glory and beauty of baseball. Less poets will be inspired to pick up the craft of baseball. Less artwork will be commissioned in the honor. Shut the hell up, Lester. Just save that because it's not going to ruin anything in baseball. You know, what ruins baseball is you taking your sweet-ass time out there on the mound and your defense going to sleep behind you, and you have to do more work yourself because you're, you've got tired legs out there. Look, just pitch quickly and efficiently. Everyone has smacked you on the, bat and, or the, on the butt and said, good job, you sped the process up, we appreciate that, you're a good teammate. I mean, that's like universally, we want to talk about the nuances of baseball, I have never played on a team that are like, man, could you just take more time? Because we love standing around out there doing nothing. It's the best. No one. No one ever does that, right? So, yeah, there's no clock in baseball except for the clock that doesn't get enforced in baseball. And where else do we see rules that are in baseball that don't get enforced? Hello? Like, do we have to slather more pine tar on our face or neck uh, and just get away with it because we have big league time? These kind of stupid things that players – think is just part of the magic of the game they're just they're just rules that don't get enforced it's a good old boy system and so this only makes cursory sense because john lester said it oh you know he's a great pitcher and his game's going to be ruined if if we were to speed up the clock no it won't be because this whole pitcher timing cat and mouse thing it's it's not predicated upon how many laps you take around that lump of dirt in the center of the field before you finally tow the rubber and pitch it's predicated on your ability to change speeds, to wind up differently, to, to read the guy at the plate in front of you. He's not starting the timing mechanism count from the moment you step onto the field and start pacing around. He's starting it from the minute you start your delivery. He's tracking the ball out of your hand. So as long as you are pitching in a timely, efficient manner, all the variables stay the same. This this concept that, like, if I could just wait him out, you know, if I could just stay out there hunkered down behind the mound with, like, a, a Red Bull 
for for 10 or 15 minutes, he would finally get tired up, tired out or psychologically distraught enough that I could just throw a ball past him. He wanted to be prepared. That's not how the game is played. The timing mechanism is in the delivery. It's not in the paceability. Um, and, and I really hate when guys say that there's this sweet, wonderful poetry to the game that's just going to get destroyed. And for the record, God, doesn't that happen all the time when any kind of rule change, you know, well, if we institute instant replay or to destroy the game, the game will be ruined. That's not what the game is supposed to be, you know. If we had, like, uh, um, a strike zone that actually worked, it would destroy the game. I mean, cry me a river, okay? Now, these are things that other sports have. Those sports have been just fine. Baseball is is, is so big, it's the critical mass now, I and mean, you would have to go out of your way to destroy it. People would still love it because it's America's pastime. So a little tweak like this is not going to hurt anybody except fat cats with fat cat salaries who think any disruption to the force is going to somehow destroy their, their ability to be effective. And, and quite honestly, if John Lester thinks that he won't be effective because a, uh, a pitching clock has been introduced, then he needs to reevaluate what makes him good. Because it isn't the clock. It's, he's got damn good stuff. That's what makes him good. And it doesn't matter if there's a clock on him or not. It's still going to be damn good stuff. Oh, when you said fat cat, I thought Andres Galarraga had come out against this for a minute. Um, so it does seem odd when ballplayers cite the poetry argument because that's our argument. That is not, not mine and not Ben's, but that is the fans' jurisdiction, right? So the fans can say, we don't like it. It's less entertaining. Entertainment is our is our area, and uh, it's not really the players. But the players do have a uh, perspective on some other issues that um, you know I tend to defer to them while acknowledging that maybe they're a little bit more conservative as a population than I might be toward the sport. But it seems like there are three areas where a ball player could conceivably convince me that this would be a bad idea for them. And um, so I thought we'd just if we could take them one by one. Uh, one of them, one of them is um, imbalance, and you sort of just alluded to this, but the idea that uh, the offense-defense balance might somehow be uh, uh, tipped in one direction because of this, and and if there was a pitch clock, I mean, I, certainly I think we've seen certain teams, certain pitchers use um, the very slow mound work. Uh, as a strategy, I think that maybe I'm kind of thinking about the Red Sox, obviously, um, in recent years. Uh, is there a way that uh, that ball, some ball players see pace of game as uh, as a strategy, and is it legitimate in any way? Well, see, the thing about pace of game is that it's in relation to like the main pace in which you operate under, right? So, if you're a guy who pitches really quickly and then you decide you want to start pitching slowly or you want to start bleeding out those seconds. Um, there, there is something to be said, I guess, for that. You know, if you want to take more time in between each pitch or, or something to that effect when tempo is uh, – when, when things are really intense on the field and you feel like you're maybe going too fast. But you, sti- you still don't take a minute between each pitch you know, the, the amount of seconds that are being allotted by this is plenty of time to still play that game of I'm pitching quickly and I want to take the full allotment of time before I have to start my windup. You know, you're going to see guys get on the rubber and then disengage the rubber to reset the clock. You'll see stuff like this. Uh, I, I really don't – okay, as a pitcher, I can tell you honestly that if it's going to benefit anyone, it's going to benefit the pitcher. It will. Because – the pitcher who moves fast 
and throws strikes usually gets better results than the guy who doesn't because you, you, you don't have a pitch to then work off of. Like the last thing that a, a hitter sees, it changes his relationship to the zone. Okay, because the zone is not a static vacuum thing. When you stand at the plate as a hitter, it's not like this is the zone and all in time and space revolve around this fixed, you know, uh, location in the universe, and it will always be what it is. The zone is changed by your interpretation of what the pitcher is doing, what the what the umpire is doing, the last pitch that you saw, and the more time you take, the easier it is for me to then let that zone reset to what I'm comfortable with. But if you're pitching quickly, I have to adjust to what you are doing. And so some pitchers just pitch too slow. They just flat out do. In fact, most pitchers take too much time. And everybody, from the defensive factor of, of not being static out there at your position to working off of the, the, uh, the batter's eye that you're adjusting pitch to pitch to just generally getting yourself off the field so you can rest more in between innings, all of that stuff goes up when you pitch quicker. The one thing that you can even say might be a factor is, is that I have such a slow pace to begin with that I need way more time to play that I'm going even slower game to slow down this offense, that kind of shenanigan stuff. But that just means you work quicker, and then you can still use the time frame that you're inside of. So I don't buy that argument or the people that use it. They just haven't thought creatively enough about the new parameters because they should be thinking about it. It's going to get instituted, and you should be thinking about how you could exploit it instead of thinking about how it's going to exploit you. So this is maybe slightly tangential, but I've always wondered, what, why do some pitchers take so long? Uh, is, uh, like, like why does Clay Buckholtz take 40 seconds between pitches? Is this something that some coaches believe in for some reason, and what is the reason? Or is it something that certain pitchers believe in for some reason, and what is the reason? Or is it simply that he's just... Like that is the, ever since he was a baby, he moved very slowly, and everybody looked at him and wondered why he was going so slow. <laughs> well, I can't speak to his upbringing, uh, but I can say what I know, and that's that. Well, once you once you let go of the ball, everything else is out of your control, right? So the build up to that that loss of control is key in understanding the psychology of a pitcher, because you you want to feel like you're in the best psychological point. Uh, place possible before you let go of the pitch. And, and what do I mean by that? It's like um, if if I feel like, if I feel like, whether it's proven or not, but if I feel like I have the best results before I pitch, if I, if I adjust my hat four or five times and wipe the back of my neck and stretch and touch my toes, you know, I'm thinking like some, something totally Japanese now, you know, where I have this crazy – uh, little fidgeting routine in between, or I'm like a certain hitter who has to adjust his hat to the point where like, I'm grinding it into my head or adjusting my batting gloves a hundred times before I get into the box. The same things take place on the mound. They do. They just manifest differently. And I need to take X amount of steps or X amount of breaths or I need to be in a certain place psychologically, so I need these physiological routines to help me get there, to feel like I'm balanced. You know, guys, that is how guys generate these little routines that they have. Um, and, and some guys, because they have more of them, because it takes them longer to get to that point where they're comfortable with delivery or letting go, uh, it takes them longer on the mound. And I really, that's the best answer I can give you, 
because some guys are going to say, well, you know, I should take my time. I want to focus. I want to concentrate. Look, you, you know, you've been doing this for most of your adult life. How much time do you actually need to throw a pitch at this point? Because if it, if it takes you more than, like, whatever amount of time it takes to, like, get the ball back, step back on the mound, toe the rubber, and take a breath, then you're one of the most inefficient pitchers I've ever seen. Because for someone who's been doing this for, like, you know, at least, I mean, some guys have been doing it for 30, almost 40 years they've been playing. And if, if you can't do it in a timely manner, Jesus, what are you doing with yourself? You know, that should be the focus of this kind of physical activity should be do, to do it in a timely and efficient manner. And guys make it inefficient on purpose. And the only reason it's that inefficient is because they're trying to mitigate that psychological factor. So this is uh, somewhat related, but a little bit different. Uh, uh, is it conceivable that it will benefit some players more than others or that it would hurt some players more than others? Because there is a sort of an, an, uh, an unfairness to changing the rules midway through uh, the game if it's going to affect some players more than others. If it won't, then that's not an issue. But if it's conceivable that, you know, Carlos Pena would take this as, a, as an attack on his way of life or something, uh, you could see why some players, and maybe uh, in the interest of fairness, all players would be opposed to it. Yeah, you know, it would really suck if the rules that all players were expected to adhere to, but the system has allowed them to get away with not adhering to them and its own inability to enforce the rules suddenly got enforced. Wouldn't that just be terrible if we just cleaned up the system and expected guys to do what they were supposed to do the whole time? Uh, yeah, yeah, I could see how that would really screw everything. I'm being horrifically sarcastic here. But yeah. to prove a point, like, you know, baseball players, they get the luxury of saying, I'm really good, I'm awesome, I've always been doing it this way, it's unfair that I should suddenly have to play the game the way it was intended to be played. How dare you, sir? Wrong. You know, there, conceivably, there will be guys who have a harder time getting themselves back to the rules than guys who have always played within the confines of the rules. Yes, for those guys it will be difficult. Will it hurt them? I'm sure that they will fall on a sword someplace and scream into a media mouthpiece and say, the game has conspired against me. My God, my God, what have I done? It's killing me. You know, how, why have you forsaken me, baseball gods? Like, that stuff is just, that's shenanigans. That needs to be tuned out immediately. If the rules... We're enforced the whole time. We won't even be having this conversation. But now that baseball has decided to, to wage a little battle on this particular timing rule, which could benefit a lot more than it would hurt, the outliers will certainly speak out and say unfair. But un unfair to what? You know, uh, to what degree? How can you quantify the damages that the clock, t the clock is doing to these outliers? You can't. So you're just going to have to listen to them whine. And I will be there. Trust me. I will be there to say, Poor baby. That will be my role. <laughs> so I have uh, the one last one on the list, and I'm going to anticipate that your question, uh, that your answer is, is going to be it won't be a factor at all. I will, I will say it, but um, uh, I will then sort of add the follow-up before I go in. The last one is, is health and safety. I assume you'll say that's not an issue. I think I would agree that it's probably not an issue. But it just gets me back to the uh, kind of original question that I might have, which is, why this is the the pace of play is largely driven by players they make the choice to play at this pace they don't uh, it's not entertaining it's not an issue of strategy particularly or fairness or health and safety i assume you'll say i don't mean to uh presume but i presume uh 
So why? Why do they play at this pace? Why has it gone in this direction for decades and decades? What is it that is so appealing to players about taking forever to do every act? Because uh, I don't know if you'll notice this, but you, you should – I mean, I'm going off intuition here. But the data, which I, large, I, I considered most data in baseball to be truth. I really do. I mean, you need somebody to interpret it there based on experience or, you know, observation. But most data to me represents truth. So I don't have the truth here, so I'm just going to make an inference based on, which I hate to do, based on my experience. All right. Uh, I, I value my truth, but I'm going to try again. I'm going to try this anyways. Okay, so in my experience, most younger players run out to the mound, take the ball, and they go to work because they don't have the luxury of being able to take their sweet time out there. And being able to take time, I mean, really just slow play it, is something that a lot of established veterans can do and will do while a lot of younger guys can't. So it's a power thing in baseball. Um, And whether baseball players will fess up to that or not, it's a, it's a power thing, and that power is kind of tied into your comfort level. Uh, so when you feel comfortable at the big leagues and you feel powerful at the big leagues, the one resource that everyone has that you can exploit is their time. And so you drag it out. You take time out of the box. Somebody's quick pitching you, no, he's not. I'm taking some time out here so he knows who I am. He's going to play at my pace. And that's where that cat and mouse thing comes in. But for the most part, I mean, it only becomes a factor when you're trying to make it one, like you're trying to show a guy that he's going to play on your terms, you know, and, and that's like, that's great. That's fine. But this ain't poker, you know, and, and really that kind of stuff is, it's, it's hard to quantify the actual outcome there. And I don't think anybody's going to be in a health risk because of it speeding up and you losing that little dynamic and just making guys jog out to the mound and hustle a little bit harder. I mean, these are world-class athletes. They can handle it. They're not going to be winded or at risk of injury. You know, we're asking for uh, basically you're asking for 15 minutes spread out over three hours, and that's going to amount to what? You know, a little extra effort in those sprints or one less warm-up pitch here and there. I mean, it's really not going to be that big of a deal. So guys, I think, are just blowing it out of proportion, and they will latch on to any argument they think the media will help them make sense of if they yell loud enough. Let me ask you about mountain visits. This was one of the things tried in the Arizona Fall League, a limit of three mountain visits per team per game by anyone, including catchers. This is not something that's probably on the table right now in the major leagues, but if it were, if this were instituted, if if mound visits were outlawed entirely, would we even notice? Would it really make a difference? We've got scouting reports you can study before the game if you want to go over how to pitch a player. You've got lots of time between innings to talk to anyone you want to talk to. If you couldn't make mound visits anymore, would players just stand there looking around for help, wondering what to do next? What what percentage of mound visits were actually useful to you? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, it depends on your relationship with who's visiting the mound, I guess. You know, I've had some some guys come out there. I would rather, you know, throw the ball at them to make them go back into the dugout or just stay the hell away from me. Uh Mound visits, you know, they're they're contextual and sometimes they serve a purpose. But I've I've had more mound visits than maybe other people that you might talk to, just because I was really bad and I had to be visited frequently to make sure that I was that bad. It turns out that I was. 
So, uh, you know, I think that if you want to throw mound visits out and limit them, I don't think you're going to really hurt anybody. You might screw up that part of the game where you feel like, ah, if I just went out to the mound a couple more times, I might be able to slow their momentum, quote-unquote. I love this word, momentum, the momentum phrase, you know, which no one can really quantify. No one really knows how to uh, put a stat to that. But we all think that it exists, and we think that it exists to the point where we will slow everything down to try and kill it. Uh, and, and personally, I think that that's just as much a part of the game as when guys have their surge of momentum, you know, you need to figure out how to get results, even against this psychological surge, and it shouldn't slow the game down to a crawl with you coming out to do mound visits over and over and over again uh, or to give the guy in the bullpen time to warm up. You just need to be more efficient in predicting when you need someone in the bullpen to start warming up. And for God's sakes, baseball is so rich with data on how and when to do that, it shouldn't be that hard. So, you know, this is going to force some some old school guys who are used to doing things their way out of their comfort zone. And because it's baseball and it's entrenched in the way it does things, and there's so much money on the table at any given time, you know, something as simple as, Really, all this is is just, okay, guys, let's be more efficient with our time and speed things up. In any other business, if you found out a way to do this, my God, it would be awesome, right? But in baseball, it's like the end of the world. So, yeah, I, don't, I, I think that mound visits are something that you will hear managers whine about or maybe catchers whine about, but I don't think that can really recall a time where I can directly correlate an outcome because – my manager came out and said, this just came in from our data analysis department. You know, in the next 10 minutes, fastballs are unhittable. It's a crazy stat. We've analyzed all of it. Throw all fastballs. And it was, okay, done. It was always like, okay, what do you want to do with this guy? Well, I want to get him out. Okay, yeah, but, you know, what do you want to go first pitch curveball? I don't, I don't know what do you want to do. Oh, I was thinking first pitch breaking ball, man. You know, I think he's hungry. He's trying to do some of that fastball. Uh, okay, fastball it is then. All right, man, let's, let's do this. Let's do, all right, you good? Yeah, I'm good. All right, boys. All right, boys, it's the umpire now. I don't have a voice for him, but just go with it. The umpire, you know, let's break it up. Let's hurry up. So, yeah, you know, that's about can, the, the best case scenario for most mound visits. Can I, can I hear your Christopher Walken now? <laughs> Guys, the mound visits are... That's, uh... <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. And lastly, between innings breaks. This is one of the, the latest things to come out that Major League Baseball is proposing these measures to reduce the time between innings. Pitchers would be required to finish their warm-up pitches and be ready to pitch 30 seconds before the end of the commercial breaks. Hitters would have to be in the batter's box, ready to hit 20 seconds before the end of each break. So this implies that the players bear some responsibility for the length of between innings breaks. Baseball officials are supposedly saying that this could shorten games by 10 to 15 minutes And this kind of flies in the face of the perception that advertising has contributed to the increase in the length of games and that there's no way around that without sacrificing funds. So do you buy this? Did you often find yourself just sort of standing around waiting for another player to be ready to play or or yourself delaying things after the commercials were over? Or is this hot air? No, I... I would say that, quite honestly, I think of all of the things that Major League Baseball wants to get past, this will be the most difficult because it does involve a a set amount of advertising opportunities. 
And if you standardize the amount of delays in the game, then you're going to cut down on the potential advertising, um, or at least you know the profitability of that certain advertising. So if you can only do, I mean, and you might be able to compensate that by making the advertising space that you do have available more expensive, and then it evens out. I'm not sure, but I had never once in my career, or in the career of anyone that I've ever talked to, been told that I need to change my uh, the way in which I use time to warm up to help accommodate advertising or to help it accommodate the television portion of it. And, and see, this is, this is unique. And, and it, maybe people will be like, oh, well, you know, of course, of course, why should that stuff play a role at all in, in anything? But this just goes to show you that there is a multi-multi-billion dollar industry that revolves around what these guys in uniform do. And these guys in uniform have never talked to any of the heads of any of these departments, not ever. You know, maybe once when they had to do, like, you know, commercial promos that they cut in and out of, of, of games, you know, while they're doing that particular broadcast. But your, your guy that does uh, – your starting pitcher doesn't talk to the head of the marketing department or all the people that go on in there. It has, nobody's ever brought to his attention the amount of seconds – that he takes on average to warm up and what that does to the advertising budget on a set night or how that affects commercial distribution or how that cuts down on what can be done as an ad or, you know, how many pitches are going to be left because that's all a big factor. And a lot of that gets, you know, in, in a derivative type manner, gets turned into what pays them. So it's, it's much more connected than a baseball player has uh, an awareness of. But at the same time, I think that baseball players are programmed to weed any kind of possible distraction that does not connect with what they're doing on the field out and pay zero attention to it and always sound as stupid on the matter as possible. So in this one scenario, I think it might be in their best interest because it might end up being in the advertiser's best interest uh, to have these kind of delays to get these high, you know, and I, I don't know the value of these ads, but you know, there, there are a lot of moving parts here, and it's a revenue area. So, you know, you, you might see a standardization here, and it might be under the guise of quickening the game, but it's going to run into how the game makes its money and how it commercializes itself, and there will be some pushback from that. I'm, I'm pretty confident. All right. Well, as always, we appreciate getting the sarcastic inside perspective from you. Uh, <laughs> and hopefully we'll just find a way to straighten this stuff out before everyone gets so bored that they just have to go back to business school just to pass the time between pitches. And if you want to follow Dirk on Twitter, you can find him at the Garfoos. You can look up his books and his writing at DirkHayhurst.com or offer to do his homework if you're interested in that. And thanks. Good luck with everything and have a good weekend. Boys, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. So that is it for this week. Please support our sponsor, the Baseball Reference Play Index. Use the coupon code BP when you subscribe to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We will take your emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. We welcome you at our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectivelywild and appreciate your ratings and reviews and subscriptions on iTunes. Have a wonderful weekend. We will be back on Monday. <laughs> there was like 10 seconds of nefarious giggling and then nothing. <laughs> That's a large part of the show.